Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just you forgot to enter. Hi, I'm Joe Curtitoni, and this is my Platinum Hour. Again. Absolutely. It's great. I had a good time the first time. This is great. Underground Radio. And the double clap signifies the start of an episode. And before we begin, hey, everybody. This is Connor Hawley of the Golden Hours Podcast. And listen, if you by chance get any sort of value from this episode, whether you laugh, you cry, you're entertained, or you learn something, dude, just share it with a friend. And if you don't have friends, you shouldn't be. Listening to podcasts. Definitely not. And before I introduce my guest on the right, who else is in the building today? The two producers we got. We have Brendan Kilcoin. And Sarah Slug. Hey. Thanks for coming, guys. My pleasure. 100%, man. You guys always just bring the mood up. Nonetheless, dude, thanks for coming back. Hey, Connor, it's great to be here. I haven't <laughs> seen you since I don't October, know I think. I, th- I think it must have been September. Or maybe September, yeah. I think you were a little more tanned back then. Right? I was. I was on the, I had that uh, canvassing tan from the, the urban tan from the streets of Somerville. Have you ever done a spray tan? No. Don't lie <laughs> to me. No, I don't. I, luckily, I don't need it, no. Are you are you like totally dark in the summer? I am. I'm I'm, I'm pretty dark. I got that uh, olive skin from my parents. Well, on my right and the camera's left, I have Somerville Mayor Joe Curtitoni, and so I reached out to your camp and I said, "Hey, listen, kids our age don't really care about the election and don't really care about voting, so we're kind of trying to figure out how and why people should get out and vote that are our age. So if I we can get anything from the episode, I would love to do that." And Absolutely. like, and you're like a big politics guy, so I figured. I <laughs> so I figured you'd know. Yeah. Um, can you give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Hey, again, I'm Joe Curtitoni. I'm uh, the mayor of the city of Somerville, so I'm the chief executive of the city. So um, I've been mayor now. It's my 17th year. I've been in local politics, however, for uh, 25 years now. I started in the le- local legislative body. Now it's called the city council. Then it was the board of Boston. But I grew up right up the hill here. Uh, right up on Prospect Hill and uh, hung out in this square. And my parents immigrated down the street in East Cambridge from a place called Gaeta, Italy. So, and I and then eventually escaped Cambridge for a better life in Somerville up here on the hill. So I've been here in this, my, I'm in this town my whole life. Uh, graduated with, uh, of the public schools, Somerville High School. But for the past quarter century, my life has been really absorbed by doing a lot of local work uh, as a legislator, as an, as an executive, as a policymaker. So I got to see how the city's landscape has changed in terms of how we see politics locally and from a local perspective, even nationally and globally. So it's fascinating now in this presidential race to see local perspectives and how they think about the candidacies of everyone on the Democratic side. And I don't think anybody really cares about the, the Republican side here in Somerville, but still, it's interesting you'd to see. Surprised. Yeah, you'd be surprised. Yeah, you'd be surprised. Some of my family, believe it or not. No way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just – it's it's – do you take that How personal? No, I, I think uh, I, in a bewildering way, we had, you, know, you, you try to be a good listener and listen to people's perspective. I think we, I think we become fractured um, in this country uh, when, we, when we're dismissive of people's perspective. But even there's so much of that side, going on right now, though. It is, even within, uh, from a, as a Democrat within the party, even within the party. And, uh, and, and I... And that's not the way to move forward. Um, although we have a president who, and and those that support him, who thrives on that splintering, that fracturing, that divide. Um, 
but yeah, it, it, it's, I don't take it personally. I did. I used to have big arguments, and I still do with family and friends, especially on issues around immigration, especially in the neighborhood I grew up with. We were all kids whose families just immigrated here from places like in Italy or Portugal or Greece or Ireland. And, well, and, when did the Brazilian population really start popping up here? I'd say that was in the mid-'80s, starting in the mid-'80s, yeah. That's back when you were smoking weed under the bleachers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that was a little bit before on that side, but <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah, we didn't do that. We did other things under the bleachers, yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, no, about the mid 80s. But, you know, I would say, you know, now, you know, some of from then to now, now we speak 52 languages in our cities and our schools, and more than a third of the population is foreign born. It's just really fascinating to see how the cities change. But so when you have these conversations with people you know are immigrants themselves, and they'll, They'll talk about people should stand in line like I did. I'm like, no, there is no line. Or they should follow the rules like I did. I'm like, hey, buddy, my father took your father's driving lesson because he couldn't speak mm -hmm. English. So, you know, it's just, it's hard. You know, you, you, you don't want, you want to respond with some empathy and accept ignorance with grace. And, but, but you know, these days it's, it's tough to do it. It's tough to do this it. is totally random to start off with, but someone, uh, the gentleman that we met outside said there was, what was the name of the material? There was slate in Prospect Hill, like there was some sort of like slate depository. Can you explain that to me? And yeah. it's mad random. Yeah, uh, I don't know exactly what the slate deposit was, but it's <laughs> so. <laughs> I think more of slate roofs. Uh, you know, Prospect Hill is an interesting place. So we're in the epicenter of the, of the sort of the birth of the nation, the American Revolution in Somerville. Where we, you know, we used to be part of Charlestown. And the, the story goes, they became too urban, so we left. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, no we, we, we actually were part of Charlestown to 1842. But up in Prospect Hill, where his family uh, grew up and my family was, uh, has a long history of Amer American um, culture. Uh, you know, going back to revolutionary times, American colonies. It's the first, the site of the, ri the raising of the first uh, flag of the United Colonies, the Grand Union flag. That's the flag that's on the um, mural in the building right down the street here. Uh, at Barristers Hall, but uh, I don't know where the slate deposit is. It could be a, quite okay. honestly, you know, I can, I can tell you where a lot of things are hidden from my youthful days up at the hill here and up in the tower. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Um, so, Somerville right now is one of the most eco-friendly cities in the country. Nice man. Yeah. Shouts out to you. And so I'm wondering, and I see it in Cambridge too, and I see it in Boston. How do you apply some of the policies on a local level to a national level and who's doing it? You know what I'm saying? Because I think one issue that I don't know if you guys would agree that kids our age actually care about would be climate change. Yeah, definitely. We're on the same page? Yes. Nice. Yeah, I would agree too. I mean, we see, uh, I mean, people your age and younger uh, students participating in climate strikes and climate marches advocating for climate action and climate equity. Well, it's like trendy to yeah. do that if you're our age. Like yeah. Fight for the world. But, I mean, it's it, it's one of the reasons when we think about some of the candidates, uh, whether you support uh, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or the other candidate, who gives voice to those types of concerns, the concerns of the of the generation that will lead you know, our communities, our state, our, our country in the future. Um, and you, how, do, how do we address that? How do we give voice or... Um, elevate that from a local level well it's interesting because um i i'm a I have a passionate interest in cities not just because i'm here but you know urban policy and cities and city regions and if you look around the world it's been at the city region level uh where municipalities and regions have set the standard uh, for climate action mostly in places like europe and coming lately and 
and with a lot more energy is in here in the United States because climate change is an existential threat to us all. Um, so the good thing about being in Somerville is people are not only cerebral, they lead with their values. Um, we developed locally uh, our own sort of Green New Deal uh, called Somerville Climate Forward where we looked at certain action areas around you know, transportation systems, um, building assets, uh, um, you know, other other uh, our own city operations and other policies to uh, have a think about a more not just eco-friendly, more cleaner way, greener way of living, and uh, and, and and building a community we all think of in the future. So w uh, e it's easier to set that standard at the local level, even though you have a president uh, and his support is a White House that actually is just fully abdicated their res all responsibility to take on climate change. Uh, but there's great opportunity. Was it expensive for you to, to make those certain decisions, like get bigger bike paths or, um, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know the specific stuff you've done. I just know that Somerville is like green as hell, man. Mm -hmm. But um, were, were those expensive decisions to make? And then on a global level, will it also be expensive? I mean, not global, national. So a couple of um, practical things we did that weren't expensive at all was uh, to think about how do we shift mobility behavior away from the automobile to more biking, walking, um, public transportation, buses, even though not all buses are electric, still they're, they're cleaner, lower carbon, more equitable forms of public transportation. To do that, you need to make sure those options, biking, walking, public transportation, buses are, are the easy choice. You're not just supposed by convenience to be in the automobile. And that's important in the most densely populated city uh, in New England, the most congested traffic region in the United States. So... For instance, over the last 16-plus uh, years, we've built uh, more than 50 miles of bike lanes and share roads. We've built dedicated bike lanes. Now, that's more of a reality. Some of it's new investments. Some of it's a reallocation of investments rather than just uh, creating a, an environment and a culture for cars because if you do that, that's what you get to, to invite that type of mobility uh, behavior uh, or and you know putting down cheap paint to have a dedicated 24-7 uh, bus priority lane on um, Broadway and Winter Hill, which has had great impact. Those type of things are very inexpensive options that have huge quality of life impacts, safety impacts, and help us move towards our summable climate forward uh, um, um, goals as well. And, the thi and, and we think about fleet op operations and you know, our energy sources, uh, you know, fueling our operations and more renewables and cleaner forms of energy. Those are sometimes slightly but incrementally more expensive. It's becoming cheaper, but the benefits are huge over the long run. It's an investment. So, yeah, it's not, you know, some investments are large, but they're very practical things we can do today and at the city level, going back to your other question, that we can do this at the standard of what that culture, that behavior should be. And we've shown with very, very immediate uh, and pragmatic investments or inter interventions on the assets that we own. Like, we can't control the T but we do control our roadways. We do control the public realms, so we can think about how do we plan a city for people, not just automobiles, and that's important because even around our zoning, we can think about what are the buildings in this, all this development that's happened in Somerville, what are the values those assets will incorporate? We know that more than two-thirds of our carbon footprint come from greenhouse gas emissions caused from our building assets and more than a third from our transportation system. So we, although, you know, we don't control the state building code. We have the ability in our zoning, which we did, for instance, to make all new commercial buildings have to be lead platinum uh, and to control a lot of our public realm to, again, not just incentivize, invite more of our culture of biking, walking, and public transportation. Greater investments like the Green Line extension, 
And those are huge investments, but they're going to pay big dividends too. It's not so much a cost. The Green Line extension, for instance, in Somerville will take 25,000 motor vehicles off the streets every day, but it also, over the long term, adds $3 billion of new economic activity to the Commonwealth that don't exist today. It helps us build more than 10,000 housing units in a region that is in a housing crisis. It helps us create more than 30,000 jobs with people uh, dying to live and work right near, I mean, work right where they live. So, you know, our investments, we need to, we need to play that out over the long term. Uh, and a lot of times we'll hear from the development community and others, well, it costs a lot to do that. You know, sometimes it's a, it, the, we have to navigate it a more difficult path, but how we think about how we build those assets, or we plan for the future, uh, it's a little bit more work. Uh, but if, we, if we're acting today with an eye tomorrow, those investments pay off. They return a positive at the end of the day and help us meet our climate action goals. So when you say that public transportation is a third of your carbon footprint here, what other alternatives in terms of fuel sources are you encouraging public transportation to use outside of gas? So let me clarify that. I would say transportation, um, you, mostly motor vehicles and, and, okay. and trucks add a, a more than uh, a, a third of our greenhouse gas emissions. And, and that's mostly You're single, saying cars yeah, in cars, the city. More of a, yeah, mostly single occupancy vehicles. So in some of all that traffic you see every day coming through here, 80, we've studied this. We've done the analysis. 85% of the traffic that comes to our city is cut through traffic and mostly single occupancy tra passenger vehicles that aren't even stopping here and stopping here. So, well, we Where are they cutting through? Are they, well, they, are they trying to get to They're trying to city? get to Boston. They're trying to get to Kendall Square. And, and so how do we deal with that in the long term? Well, we need cleaner vehicles, uh, electric vehicles, EVs. I mean, they are here. They're coming. They can, the technology continues to evolve. A, a so at the, at the national level, there should be a bigger prioritization to shift in towards, and the industry is starting to do that. Now, think about that. There are some industries, some companies already have a target date to shift towards all EVs, even automated vehicles. So cleaner sourced, fuel sourced vehicles and electric buses on the public transportation side, our buses and our rail system should be electrified as well. We have. Are, are you going to get an electric vehicle? I am going to get an electric vehicle. We have two what are you going to Tesla? I don't know if I can afford a Tesla, but uh, um, we have two cars. I'm about to get rid of one. And my, if we do get a second one, it's that, and whatever we change, it's going to be an EV all the way. Get that Tesla. Yeah, I hope I can afford it. Um, but either well, way. Well, can't you write your own checks? <laughs> yeah, no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, we have the, we know the technology. It's right there in front of us. We need to make any investments. And, you know, what, what frustrates us all is if we had these sort of bureaucratic uh, um, pushback uh, from the state government will cost more. Well, what are we investing in the future? I mean, we're investing in our public health. We're investing, investing in the in world not exploding. Invest in, in, in us being alive and in existence today and the future generations. And we would hope that we don't have, you know, someday we'd like to turn to my kids and grandkids and say, you know, we didn't threaten their existence just to, you know, just to, just so we can, you know, put our arms around our own conveniences here. Uh, for that, You know, we need to think about that future now. And you know, the, the economics work as well, too. See, the one thing why I think climate change is hard for a lot of people to grasp now is because it's like we don't really feel the effects of it, like in our day-to-day. -day. It's like, oh, shoot, it's like 50 degrees in February. This is kind of nice. You know what I'm saying? Everyone's in a good mood. But it's hard for us to say we want to take all this action on something we're we're going to see results in in 35 years. You know what I'm saying? So how do you make people really care to like, yo, you got to go out and vote because this is actually going to impact you. You right. know what I'm saying? It's a tough thing to do. But it's interesting. Cause I do see the younger generation focused on this, uh, and which is inspiring. Uh, I see people my age or slightly younger than me, not as focused. Um, 
other than Somerville. Somerville's easy to have that, to see that passion. That well, because they're like, hey, man, my time's done. <laughs> yeah. I just want to chill. Right. And, and, and you know, um, but we actually do, when I speak publicly in the community, we talk about the localization of climate impacts right here. We feel it. We have, we've shown with data and analysis over the last several years, the level intensity and the amount of storms have increased. Uh, and, and, and we have increased flooding in areas of the city that hadn't seen this frequency in flooding in, in, in really a generation. That is causing damage to our property, to our assets. We see our roadways. Whereabouts? And, you know, flooding? we've seen that most recently in places around the Lincoln Park neighborhood, uh, down um, Washington Street to Perry Park, so the southern and southwestern portion of the city. Uh, there have been other uh, traditional uh, flooding areas. Uh, historically, Union Square used to flood. There's a river that goes underneath, uh, Miller's River, that's beneath the square here. A lot of the work you see happening out here every day to separate our water and sewer systems, which is another major climate forward and uh, environmental investment we're making, will alleviate that chronic flooding. But we're these 100-year storms, you know, you build out system for 100-year storms, the storms that theoretically may not occur for, or may occur once every 100 years, they're, they're occurring a lot more frequent. Oh, and you're saying the, the storms are more the severe. They're more intense. They're more severe. They last longer in duration. And we more, have more snow. Flooding, more flood. No, not a lot of snow these days. I remember, I'm a little older than you, uh, Connor, and I'm sure your dad would tell you that going in February, no snow. I mean, I mean, we need to separate what climate change versus weather. But you're seeing the localizations and impacts. It's nice out there, uh, but again, we are seeing these storms occur more frequent. They're having greater impact on our assets, and then just the you know the temperature itself, our roadways. Uh, we have to repave our roadways for bicyclists, for, uh, for motorists, even for pedestrians, and we see our roadways deteriorating quicker than they have in the past, too. That means a great investment in the city. So how do you uh, sort of make the case at the local level the importance of this? Well, I think people in this city certainly get the long-term impacts and the existential threat climate changes, but we can also put a very practical fiscal and financial impact on what we're feeling today and what that means. Uh, whether it's, again, the, the deterioration of assets, as I sort of outlined here, or the threat to some of our major economic districts, uh, like um, the seaport, for example, which could be underwater, or the threat uh, in terms of food security to the New England Produce Center, which is just in Chelsea. Uh, these are things that, are, that, are, that have been studied uh, and analyzed and uh, are threatened, are real threats. And when we make that case, I think that plucks a value string to people and what is more of an adaptive challenge to say, what can I do now? What is my responsibility as an individual, as an elected official, as a business leader, as a young person thinking about our future? I know what you're saying, but what I mean is like, how do you talk to someone our age and say, hey, this is an immediate issue. Like, look today how this is affecting you. Because it's easy for people to say like, hey, there's this big threat coming. Or like, dude, in 10 years, the seaport's going to be underwater. But how do you say like, today, look at what's going on in the planet. Right. No, again, how do you give that? I'm just trying to say why people should get out there and yeah, no, I agree, and they should. I mean, for look, the planet is on life support. I don't disagree with you. It's on life support. So how do we make that case? It's hard for people to fathom. They can't see it. They can't touch it. So we need to show in a very practical way. This is what is happening here, and we need to give the context of what has changed over time, and we need to let them what the impacts as to our public health, to our world security, uh, you know, to our economy. Uh, to how we live, everything has to change or will change. And, and if we don't take action now, what are those consequences? How profound will they be? I think the case is much easier to make with young people. And, uh, and I think young people here, because we hear young people talk about it in the context of how the economy 
uh, isn't working for them. It's also directly related to climate change because we see those who dominate the economy from the fossil fuel industry to other forms from other economic plays who are dictating policy at Washington, the international level, which is further compounding the impacts of climate change. Young people are making that case every day. When we see young people say, well, you know, here, those advocating for better transportation investment in, the, again, the most congested traffic region in, in the United States here in the Commonwealth, the metro Boston region. Well, we know more than a third of the greenhouse gas emissions come from vehicles, motor vehicles, mostly single passenger. So if we make investments and those advocating for greater investments in cleaner forms or expanded forms of public transportation, more equitable forms of public transportation, they're going to help us in the climate change argument and our and our and are meeting our climate goals here in Massachusetts. So could you do that on a national level? You, like Absolutely. Would, so you would encourage the presidential candidate to invest in more public transportation nationwide? Absolutely. We need a greater investment in public transportation nationwide. We're far behind some more developing, uh, other developing countries. Would that kill the car industry? No, the car industry, listen, the motor vehicle will have a role in our society. It's probably going to be in a different form. Why does it have to, it should be fossil fuel burning. It should be a spaceship, man. Can, well, like a you know, whether they're automated vehicles or, 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 or human-driven EVs, they're going to be there. Um, they're going to be a vehicle on wheels, but there's no reason to continue. Really, the fossil fuel industry is an economy that's not going to be sustained over the long term. So the motor vehicle industry understands this, the automobile industry. They get it. Uh, they're just holding off, and really they're, they're dominating and big business and the fossil fuel industry and, the, and their lobbyists are dominating Washington politics and policy setting. And that's why the United States is lagging far behind the rest of the world. That's one of the reasons the driving forces why the United States got out of the Paris Accord, the Paris Climate Agreement. And, 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 and young people, and we need to continue to make that case and explain that context to people of all ages. Young people do get that. That's why they're out there on climate strikes and taking climate action. That's why our high school students and young people around the country are leading that charge and creating that narrative. And they're looking at policymakers like me at the local level, asking what are you doing at the local level to meet our climate forward goals, to promote climate action here and climate equity. Uh, and we feel that. That's not just done by Joe Curtis, Tony, the mayor. That really is my role and my responsibility that I embrace to give voice to those concerns, to, the, to, to, to those hopes, to those dreams, to these young people and the rest of the community. Hey, any questions from you two? I do have one. Um, Slugs. Let's hear it. Um, so do you have any plans in the near future for, I mean, I know you've done, like, some of those so eco-friendly, but do you have any more plans on how to maintain that and to make it, like, promote it even more? Yeah, we've outlined that over the next several years, what we're doing in some of Climate Forward. Our goal is to be carbon neutral uh, by 2050. And what does that mean? That means really no net uh, net zero car, you know, emissions to contribute to our, green, our carbon footprint by 2050. No carbon footprint <coughs> coming right. from Somerville. Um, and we were, I was, I was proud to lead a coalition of the, of the mayors of the Metropolitan Mayors Coalition, 15 communities in the inner core to set a regional goal. And now we have the Commonwealth setting that goal as well. And it's important because that is a narrative, not just a narrative goal. We, we need to put a stake in the ground and what we're going to do. But I was also excited to join several other mayors to commit to, um, you know, utilizing only renewable clean, forms, uh, clean sources of energy by uh, 2045. So in our climate forward plan, we have those goals, but our goals are also focused around, again, uh, our buildings and, uh, and, and, our, and our transportation systems, uh, our operations. Uh, so we'll continue to move those plans forward to make sure all new buildings are going to meet meeting at a minimum lead platinum. Um, what does that mean? Mean platinum, you know, certain goes so they're net zero buildings. 
and, and uh, so what they have to like do they have to change their source of their source of energy energy yeah may depend more on renewables uh we're actually gonna get the first building of its kind um about a half 500,000 square foot lab commercial building built by Edge Technologies, a Dutch company that figures up no way in Somerville down by assembly. Um, and they did some really cool stuff in terms of their, you know, th- I think they used several thousand iterations of the building to position it against the sun. Uh, and Solar power? Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, and, uh, and, and utilizing different forms of renewables and clean forms of energy to source the building. Uh, but also, you know, how do you maintain the envelope? And how's it move, you know, uh, the efficiency of the building envelope itself? So, uh, again, those policies, again, around our transportation systems, uh, future development in the city, also building up resiliency and adaptation because we are going to feel the impacts uh, further exacerbated and compounded over time of climate change. You know, we're trying to stay off the level of flooding that may occur. You know, what happens if, uh, if and when the Mystic River rises and, uh, and the Amelia Earhart Dam is breached? What's that do to places uh, around Assembly Row? And those Surf's up, dog. Surf's up. Not a lot of <laughs> waves, but a lot of waiting, we could say. But, you know, so those the, the plan speaks to some very bold long-term things and some practical things we're going to do over the next several years around the things we control right now while advocating for other policy change around building code and so forth at the state level. B, anything, man? I was just going to ask, so when you say your, your plan for 2050 is um, totally carbon neutral, is that just public spaces, public transportation, or are you trying to, like, actually subsidize private you know, private residents to go solar or um, people to actually buy cars, you know, electric cars? Yeah, it's actually citywide. So um, it, it's not just public buildings. Those are important. We, we're, we're contributed to our carbon footprint and greenhouse gas emissions, make, uh, make no mistake, uh, and uh, public transportation systems as well. But, you know, we have, we have programs now. Uh, to our community aggregation program where you can buy all your sources of energy, you know, you clean. And I just signed up. I'd ask people to do the same. You can do the same. You can visit the city's website, www.sumofla.gov, and you can look that information up. You just click on your utility bill, put your account number in, and you can source all your energy from clean, renewable uh, forms of uh, uh, sources of energy uh, to your home. Uh, so we're, we're continuing to incentivize homeowners to do the same there. We're trying to understand how we can uh, – further help them make investments in our so and solar panel programs um, and that, that technology is going to continue to evolve so we'll continue to partner uh, with um, you know the Commonwealth and and, and uh, other programs and nationally hopefully develop with a new president that we can help homeowners with investments and subsidies to make that change that's going to take time that's something we need to be focused on right now in the city and in terms of what we own uh, we're also focused uh, again on the public round the public right away in our streets who owns that we always say if you plan a city for cars, <coughs> that's what you're going to get. Uh, the cities and city regions in the future will, will, will thrive if they start planning communities and regions for people. So we're doing a parking study uh, of the city to understand our parking policies. We want to continue to reduce parking in the city. Um, uh, we want to continue to skinny down and give ro- major roads a diet to invite more dedicated bus lanes and protected bike lanes so people find that the easy choice of uh, mode of transportation to utilize here. We're already expanding the green line through Somerville uh, and, and the extending the community path all the, way to the, uh, all the way into Boston, which we're really pumped up about. As long as you'll be able to take the, the T to the studio. Yeah. Right outside my apartment. Yeah, it opens up next year, 2021. By the end of 2020, be fully operational. Also, we want to see the silver line. How many doubters did you have? How many doubters? On the green line. 
I always Who? say, as, as mayor, I'm one of the sad things I have to do. I have to go to a lot of wakes and funerals. I, have, I, I went to the more Green Line wakes over the last I'm <laughs> sure. 17 years. And when it, it was on, it was off, it started, it paused it. And, and, and even before that, it's been decades of advocacy for a lot of people, many of whom aren't around anymore for one reason or another. You outlasted the haters. Yeah, yeah. I think they were just, you know, it, it's a long, it shouldn't have been that hard. The best light rail project uh, rated in the country. It was so good, even Trump couldn't knock it off the list. He supported it. That that uh, ha brings so much environmental justice to uh, environmental justice communities and those who felt, again, you know, those who, those who've been at the brunt uh, end of the uh, uh, of climate change. And one thing we need to keep in mind when we talk about climate action, stress is climate equity. We need to make sure that as we take on, uh, really start operationalize climate action, that those people, mostly vulnerable populations. Uh, who've suffered through climate change the most, uh, they have to be able to benefit as equal, uh, the same as you and I, for any climate action here in the city. So Wait, why, why is the Green Line extension eco-friendly? I don't really get it. It's a light rail electric trolley. Oh, it's electric. Electric trolley, yeah. And that's what not gas. Not gas, not gas. And, and, and a lot of people, no, I want people to understand, because some people don't realize, you know, you're, if you don't, the commuter rail here is, diesel so you, you have black carbon fibers that go into the communities you know that thing and is just a bullet of gas man. yeah and and we need to electrify and we need to have regional reels and need to be electrified and uh you know i remember uh, about two months ago i spoke at the fiscal management control board which is the body that controls the money right now and this board was established by the legislature and governor baker to get the finances of the mbta in order we had a presentation from the city and city region of toronto on their electric and regional rail system it was so fascinating I was there to speak about something else. When I got up to speak, I said, the first question I have is, why aren't we leading this conversation? Why isn't Massachusetts leading this conversation for the rest of the country? It, it, it's just... Have you been, been to Toronto? Yeah, it's a fascinating city. What a city. Yeah. <clears throat> is, that, is that like, I understand you got your own thing going here with Somerville, but like if you could look up to one city, is there one? I think uh, definitely on transportation. That's one that I, I admire. Is there a city around? I think the everybody wants to be like Somerville last time I checked. No. I, don't, I don't know <laughs> if Mayor Siddiqui would say the same thing. Yeah. Well, is there any like one city where like that's the gold standard for running a city? I look at a lot of cities and, and I get inspired, uh, you know, certainly a lot of European cities, you know, uh, obviously they've done a lot around sustainability and, uh, and climate action. Um, What's the best one? I don't know if there's a best one, but, uh, you know, I've been. People are pumped about yeah, Copenhagen. Uh, I Copenhagen, know that, right? Hamburg, who's done some real cool stuff. Um, yeah, I think they take something out of every. Uh, it's what I've gone back when you asked about how do you at the local level have an impact nationally. Those cities and city regions have had an impact nationally and internationally. We've lauded them from afar and tried to adopt their approach to being innovative and being bold and implementing bold systemic change when you think about mobility and, t and implementing climate action um, or even policies around housing. You know, a lot of our countries and places are nowhere you're doing. We think about building a a just and equitable community for the future that anybody who wants to live here actually has a true and authentic chance to stay here, but also to be part of every healthy, happy, and productive city as well. If you were president, what would you you do about student debt? I'd remove want to remove student debt, which is why I'm, I'm a big supporter of uh, Elizabeth Warren. We know! <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm a fan of some of the other uh, candidates as well, and uh, I think it's important. Uh, See, I get it, yeah. eliminating student debt entirely. I just don't understand. Then someone's going to get shafted. So who's getting shafted? 
who's not making money? Is it the loan, the people in the loan sharks, the universities? But we, I don't know why anybody has to lose any money or, or necessarily make a ton of money. Well, I so, I mean, there are loan companies who are expecting money from all the students, right? And so, would Elizabeth Warren just say, hey, you guys, you're not getting your money. Students, you're cool. No, I, I, I don't think anyone, any of the plans I've read in, um, or been explained, you know, uh, offer to, um, you know, not uh, make good on what any any company is owned. It comes and from a tax, correct? Probably. It comes from a fee. And she talked about a wealth tax, like two cents for the wealthiest American in the country. I mean, look, we, you know, I, I was just reading about the, the stock market. I've always, I mean, I, I, I want to make sure people understand this. So you'll have this president saying, the stock market's doing great, the Dow's great. Whether it's a city budget or our bond rating on the stock market, there's nothing about that data point or that the four corners of that document that tells you whether life is worth living in the city or whether you have an opportunity for a future here in the Commonwealth or in this nation, whether you can afford to buy a home or, you know, anything about the opportunities before you. And that's the important thing here. The you economy. Know, the, the, the smallest universe of those in the investment community and those in the financial or those who are really at the top of industry are dictating for the rest of us what our future will be, and that's just not right. The and economy I, isn't a good indicator of people's happiness, you don't think? I, I think, think if people, it, it, more no, people are working. It is, it, it is one, but it doesn't indicate whether you have a equal and authentic opportunity as as anyone else to rent or buy a home, to get a job, to start a business, to go to college or send your kids to college, to pay that debt. It is not a, a, a the only indicator. Uh, it's a good generalization, though, It's right? a very overgeneralization. Well, if more people a, a, are working. What the, what the market is giving you, the data point, is a confidence on the investment and financial sectors of our community, end of industry. Confidence in what the future is. Their confidence. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily describe our confidence, right? So how do you gauge American happiness on a global Well, it's interesting you asked level. about that because some of them the first, I'm going to say with the first, though someone proved me wrong, first city in the world to measure happiness. We conduct a happiness survey. Uh, What's the rating? Uh, out, of a, out of a one to ten, we're close to an eight. Might be an eight. Are you on the and seven was, side or the eight side? No, no, no. We're on the, we're on the, we're on the close to the eight side. It's, it's high. <laughs> but what we, the, the original thing we wanted to know is how do we or can we, and um, as um, – policymakers impact your subjective happiness and is there a correlation between your satisfaction or dissatisfaction with city services and, and, and happiness and there is because well, our, our point was well we want to make sure when you walk out no matter what's happening in the world today when you come home or what you when you walk out your front door whatever you touch feel and see and experience in the community you feel confidence here and, uh, and something good about wanting to be here long term because we want you to stay here long term we want to make sure you have an opportunity uh, or that you have at least a willingness to Think about starting family here. Just be part of this community. Be vested, uh, or send your kids to school here, or start a business. And that was really informing to us, you know. So from our happiness survey, so yeah, you can gauge happiness in nation, and that's that's been well documented, uh, even from some of the least financially uh, well off nations um, or less developed. Uh, and again, if you're if you're happy, you tend to be healthier and more productive, and that's the point of understanding happiness. Uh, and money in of itself can make you. Uh, I think study it more happy. Absolutely, but the financial market—not everybody is, is is experiencing that financial benefit in America. Uh, there is there's another index called the Social Progress Index in the world, and we rank very low compared to other countries because what is that? 
Social what is that? Well, there's assess. a well, a, 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 on a national, a, a nation state level, assesses many things. You know, uh, you know, uh, equity from many different fronts, and also policies around the environment and sustainability, your know, health, uh, safety, security, all kinds of things. Um, you know, co uh, you know, sort of political uh, uh, transparency and corruption, all kinds of things at the nation uh, state level. But the the important thing is, is uh, uh, here in this country, there is a major gap in social progress, social equity. That's what young people, are and, and people in general, but especially young people, are uh, fighting for every day. Listen, you know, I know what young you know. people are fighting for, yeah. but it's not all young people. No, They're, right. I'm one. I'm newly into politics. Like, probably since I had Mayor McGovern up, I've started. And this was like a year and a half ago. I've started to understand it just a little bit more, and I'm a little more tuned into the election. But it, it'd be a vast understatement to say that kids my age care about the election. And I don't know why that is. I know it's not like that with other generations. And, I, and I'm not speaking for the collective of people because there are kids who are out there like, yo, this is big. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But as a, at least in my demographic... In Boston, I don't think there are that many people that are going to go out and vote. Yeah, I don't disagree. One, I, 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 I do I, I agree. Not as many people. Was it like this when you were general, growing up, too? Yeah, in general. I mean, people say more people voted out them, but in the United States, doesn't have a very great track record in terms of voter engagement and turnout and, and the electoral process. What has been inspiring in, in this presidential election, I think you see, at least from my perspective, and intuitively, you, you, you sense a greater level of participation of younger voters uh, for whatever candidate, whichever candidate they're supporting. Um, but in general, uh, yeah, in, in the United States compared to, I mean, you know, you're required to vote in Australia. We have 98% voter turnout. I mean, look at the turnout with so do much at stake. Do they penalize about, you if you don't? I think, well, yeah, they penalize you. They tax you yeah, if you don't. Tax you. I remember I had a presentation here years ago. You get a tax or a fee. But the point is with so much at stake for the future, while I at a time when our democratic institutions, our democracy is under assault and under attack, uh, and, and with existential threats like climate change uh, face, uh, 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 confronting us every day in a White House that is basing its policy largely on white nationalism, you would hope you'd see even greater turnout in this country. Now, I think it's, from, my, from what I recall, it seems like a lot more, but far short that I think a fee in democratic society should realize, you know. So you obviously want Elizabeth to win. Yes. That's, that's the hometown hero, right? Yeah. Well, I'm a big fan. I've been a big fan. But uh, you're kind of obligated too, right? <laughs> There's always sense of Like, did you have to vote for John Kerry? Probably, right? I voted for him because I liked him in that race, yeah. But uh, what I'm saying is you probably yeah. like every Massachusetts politician. Well, you know, you always, you always vote the hometown team. But I've always voted for the best candidate. And that's for me, and I'm sure you have also. But you sense, especially when someone that you know or work with has been part of your delegation, you want to – yeah, I, and you've had that experience of them working hard for the constituents. You know, Elizabeth has gone to Washington and, f and been true to to her word and been a fighter. This is this is your buddy, though, too. No, of course it is. But I actually, you know, I'm a I'm a fan. I know so many other candidates. I, I you know, I, I you I, know Duvall, I'm sure. I, I know Duvall very well. I was the first mayor to endorse him when he ran for governor. Um, and and we have a lot of great candidates running on the Democratic side. And anybody wants to put themselves out there in any elected. Uh, uh, electoral process deserves a lot of credit. And uh, presidential politics today, I can remember this much growing up, boy, the dynamics have changed. Uh, 
the rhetoric is far more negative and more intense, and social media certainly compounds that. Uh, and but I love the fact that candidates are putting out abnormal ideas, advocating for bold systemic change. And he's like, as, as one person, think that's what this country needs. So while I'm supporting Elizabeth, I'm a fan of people like Bernie Sanders, even Pete Buttigieg. I happen, you know, and people not, may not be fans of all the others, but I happen to know who Mike Bloomberg is. You know, I got to meet him in the mayoral uh, organizations like the U.S. Conference of Mayors on, a, on movements like Mayors Against Illegal Guns. But I'm with Elizabeth Warren because I think she's a fighter, the person who understands and will take the most deliberate action, has plans to take on the major issues, the legacy challenges of our time uh, for all generations. And I, I think she's doing an incredible job, and she's so smart. And, you know, but if she's not the candidate, <coughs> you, you know, we talked about canvassing earlier. I'll be out there knocking doors and canvassing for whoever the Democratic candidate is. And that's what I hope we'll see from everyone in, in this election, that we start breaking e trying to break each other down and fracturing not just the party but really the message. I think that plays right into this president's hands, and uh, that cannot happen. On a strategic approach, I mean, you've won a ton of elections. Shouts out to you, man. Thank you. What would you do in the Warren campaign to position yourself better? Because it's just like it's a free for all, right? At, from at least my perspective, right now, like, and and how does yeah. she differentiate from um, the Sanders campaign? What do you do differently? Yeah, it's a good question because you're right. You have to distinguish yourself because it's a choice. People are going to make a choice. I think people and people know there's a lot of smart Kansas. They certainly know Elizabeth's very smart. Um, I think if I were, I, I mean, everyone knows she's very progressive, very much to the left. I would say for the, the candidates, uh, uh, if I was advising strategy of them, you don't have to compete, but who's more far left than the others? We have to speak to all people, too, because at the end of the day, uh, the country's made up of people in the middle, people on the left, even the Democratic side, even the Democratic slightly by conservative people want to know that you're, you're going to give voice to the issues they're concerned about, so keep speaking truth to power to those issues. It's really important. Um, You'd be surprised at what people care about. When no, I know. And it's not all the things. Some people, like you say, may not <coughs> resonate that climate change is real and impacts them today. I can tell you, like, surface level, I'd, a lot of kids my age aren't like, what are their policies? They're like, okay, we, we could vote for a gay guy. We could vote for, like, the billionaire. We could vote for the, the woman. Or we could vote for Bernie Sanders. Like, that's kind of the thought process. Yeah. So how do you cut through that with actual ideas? Like, well, hey, this is actually how this is going to impact you. Well, I think that's important. That's something they should be focused on. How do I resonate? If you're not resonating with a particular segment of the population, how do you resonate with them? What, how do you pluck a value string for them to say, this, he or she, she's going to give voice to what I care about, you know, and she's going to fight for everyone. Um, and that's the challenge, right? And I think she needs to be focused on that. Uh, and, you know, so this race, I think Super Tuesday after Super Tuesday, we're going to see candidates drop out. I hope she's still in this race. But She's got to win mass, right? Has to win Massachusetts. Is it a toss-up? No, I think she'll win mass, but I think it's going to be a battle. I think Bernie Sanders is a great candidate. Um, um, I mean, I just think about some of them. <laughs> yeah. Someone's going to be tight here. You think uh, so? Yeah, well, listen, he's a great candidate. I think there's some other good candidates there as well. I forgot what I, the other point I was going to make, but, yeah, I, you know, yeah, listen, Elizabeth Warren's my senator. She's my friend. She's been a supporter, but I believe in her, and that's why I'm fine. And I'd submit, you know, it'd be interesting. I wonder how, you know, how they would view her if she wasn't a woman uh, in this race. Uh, I, I think that's been a uh, – that's been uh, 
Yeah, I think that for her has been a, a hurdle. But uh, I, I, I love her. I, I, I love her fight. I really do. I love her fight, and uh, I would love to see her debate Donald Trump. I really would. I really. I you you really don't like that guy. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't so even respect them. That's the problem. I've had other people. We, all, we can always not we we can and, and to not like someone even and, and not respect anyone I like that often. We're gonna have just have a lot of people who I may not support politically, but I like them personally and I have respect for them. Uh, but the issues we differ on that we differ on mean uh, uh, are so uh, are that important to me or you. Um, so I never thought in my lifetime. I don't think I speak. I speak for millions of other people who would see a White House that is. Uh, led by a person like him. Uh, it's it's interesting how this election and the presidency reflects the country, isn't it? It's, it is. It's it fascinating. It's a divided it's, country. It's a very changing country. Yeah, I, 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 I've always had the opinion that never, Donald Trump hasn't divided the country. He's just capitalized on the divide. He's sort of unveiled it, and uh, I am He's very concerned. It. Yeah, I'm very concerned that he could win. And uh, and this is why people need to be out to vote because I do agree. I think Bernie Sanders said something that I absolutely agree with, and it was along the lines that you know to be Donald Trump, we're not going to chip away at his base. Um, it's we need an historic, massive voter turnout, which is why I'm concerned. When especially when you say you know a lot of people aren't tuned into this, you'll be surprised. You know, and sometimes in Massachusetts and in some of them, we live in this fishbowl. Some of the rest of the country's like that. We need a massive, historic voter turnout, whoever the candidate is. To, to take the country back and take it away, you know, reverse its direction to an uncertain and dangerous future, to a more solid footing and a promising future, whoever the, whomever the, uh, whoever the Democratic nominee is. So in the back of your mind, right, you're a politician. You want to rise up in your career. Liz Warren says, dude, you had my back this whole time. I'm 100% going to have you in my cabinet if I win. What job would you want to take in the cabinet? <laughs> yeah, good question. And that's obviously you're obviously yeah. thinking about that, right? Like, no, actually, don't lie to me, man. No, like, I don't think I'm going to get a call for a cabinet position. Uh, if like this, if if this mayor who's had my back this whole time, who's running this big city, says like, "Hey, I could definitely use some of your skill sets in the White House." You're taking it, dude. Yeah, who, I'd like who else gets that call? I'd ask you to let me be in charge of personnel the six months. Let me just root out all the. All the white nationalists and all the people driving the policy against all that anti-immigration policy. You know, I, I like to be the person to help go in there and just clean house. Personnel. So you? Uh, you no, I actually, and I, and I say that in light, but also serious. I, I want to see a president come in and really make some bold changes. I mean, people have to understand it's not just the policies and the decisions he's made that we see on TV and we hear the stories about, but there's been such a change in a loss of institutional knowledge, intelligence. Uh, within the different agencies, uh, like trying to gut the EPA, uh, and judges that have been put in radically to the right, uh, where we conservative judges in the federal courts, dozens and dozens, uh, that should be concerning to people as well. But hey, if I get a call for Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders asking me to be in the cabinet, I'm going to seriously consider it. Obviously. So, absolutely. What, what would you want, though? I don't know. What do you think I'd be good at? Chief of the Italian tan. The Italian tan. <laughs> Maybe ambassador to Italy, and we can That'd take this sweet. program over there. And I know some spots. Let me tell you, this podcast will go over well. That'd be sweet. We get your Rosetta Stone lesson. We'll be all set, ready to go. I can already speak Italian. Here you go. Questions. Well, um, real one, real quick question. Actually, go ahead, Slugs. Um. So, if she wins, if Elizabeth Warren wins, what does that mean for 
the summer, bro? Like, what what's gonna happen? Slugs. Here? Great question, dude. Um, one, uh, I I actually think, it, and for everyone, it, I think it it's gonna be jubilant here. Uh, we're gonna be excited. It's gonna parade. be promise of the few parade. Uh, we'll make sure we will get Elizabeth Warren, uh, President-elect Warren, back here. Uh, but also means we're going to gear up for another election because there's going to be a U.S. Senate seat open. <laughs> so yeah, we'll be, we're going to be arguing over who's the best candidate to replace Elizabeth Warren uh, as the U.S. That's Senate. why you want her to win. No, no, no. <laughs> it's not going to be me. It's not going to be me. I want to come back on this show and do some electoral analysis, you know, the candidates that will be running for that seat. So that would be interesting. Uh, that would be actually pretty magical for, uh, I mean, for the country, for Massachusetts, if she, if she were elected. But what, like, what policies that she would institute would actually directly impact Somerville? Uh, I, I will uh, reversal of the uh, anti-immigrant policies and 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 fighting for immigration reform would impact the people in this city, who are our neighbors, who are our friends, who kids who go to school, my kids, who are hiding in the shadows these days and looking over their shoulder, f- fear of being having their families ripped apart. Uh, that I could see her taking immediate action on. Didn't uh, did ICE come to Somerville recently? ICE, uh, the, as you probably heard, President Trump. Uh, and his head of ICE uh, implemented uh, instituted a policy where they're going to have members of their tactical team, SWAT team, go assist um, uh, ICE agents in the different regions. In this case, the Boston region, and uh, and serving warrants. Or uh, you know, so they we haven't seen them in the city yet. We haven't seen them there. And what we're doing is making sure we're giving out all the information. People know their legal rights that they don't have to answer their doors. Uh, 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 and, and, and what to do and what not to do. Um, so they're not pr- we don't see them prowling the streets or anything like that. But again, it's another indication that his um, another election year gimmick from him that has impact on real human, on, on human lives and families. And For reference, ICE is, uh, they're like the anti-immigration task yeah. force. And they like, they go out and they look for illegal immigrants and they deport them. Yeah. Immigrations and customs customs enforcement. They've gone beyond simple immigration customs enforcement uh, to again um, raiding uh, families' homes. Uh, again, now we're, they're going to backstop it with tactical units. Uh, we're talking about people in uh, armed individuals to serve, you know, to to go arrest people for civil infractions, not even criminal infractions, civil infractions. Um, so I think, you know, certainly there I would like to see that on, uh, on re-entering the, the, the Paris Agreement, the climate change, the Paris Climate Agreements, uh, taking a lead worldwide on the worldwide stage uh, to lead the charge for climate action. Uh, I would love to see uh, further investment in, 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 in modern transportation policy to invest in our transit systems uh, and in housing, you know, treating housing as a, as a human right. Uh, the federal government long ago started to get away from the affordable housing uh, priorities of this nation, and uh, certainly this president has not embraced the need to invest in affordable housing. I would, I have no doubt, you know, Elizabeth, uh, President Warren would uh, take that on right away in, in the first days of her, uh, first weeks of uh, her administration. Brendan. I just wanted to go back to, um, you know, differentiating Warren Sanders, because I find that to be her her biggest threat right now. He's, from all indications, is the front runner right now in the polls, and I feel like she's he's kind of been this authentic progressive for you know twenty plus years. He's been championing these causes. He kind of brought it to the forefront in two thousand sixteen, 
whereas um, you know Warren she she was a conservative back in the you know the 1980s she actually didn't endorse Sanders in 2016 so I I think a lot of people have like an issue kind of with her consistency and I think they see Sanders as someone who's more authentically progressive someone who's you know actually checking these idea these ideas for a long time I'm just wondering how she can um, she can come out as more authentic and real and actually get behind these these ideas because uh, I'll, I'll stop in a sec because I, I mean obviously another thing we haven't talked about is the whole the Native American you know ancestry and that's that's a little that's another kind of part of her authenticity taking a hit just and I, I feel like that's her biggest issue right now in differentiating herself from Sanders so how, how can she remediate that so yeah. you're, so real quick sorry so your biggest your biggest barrier to her as a candidate is you just you don't trust her as a candidate I'm, tr- I'm trying to take the, like the shoes of her campaign advisor cause I think that's her biggest issue and I'm wondering how she she can change that okay yeah I don't uh, on the Native American thing I I'll be the first to to agree I think they botched that early on and how to handle that but I don't see that really as an issue at least I haven't heard that come up I think her record and her f- and her willingness to take on you know, the Wall Street elite and to fight uh, you know uh, against poverty and 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 I think she's led that fight along with Sanders. I no denying uh, uh, Senator Sanders has been a champion of those things as well. Uh, I guess you know if I'm going to step back and not say no, I'm not supporting any candidate. You know, where do you see the sort of the chessboard aligning here? And uh, if, if you have two, I think you have multiple strong progressive candidates, you know, y- 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 it's hard to keep jumping over the next person, father left, father left, father left. You know, not, you know, you, 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 there is space um, to pivot to not to change your stance, your stance, but to address the concerns. I think Senator Sanders has actually done this as well to appeal to moderates. As well, not just those who are far to the left, and you know we'll hear people will they'll categorize people like some of us as socialists. Not so I think he's had a pretty broad base and broad message, and there's space there for her. This is strict. This is just my opinion, strictly on the strategic front. I don't, at least when uh, I mean polling's polling, you can like it or not like it. I haven't seen there been issues on the credibility front. I think you know Senator Sanders just captured a lot of momentum these days, and that's been realized in some of the caucuses and primaries the early on. Uh, I think she did a bang-up job, and to whatever extent debates mean anything these days, the last debate, to show, one, she is a strong, thoughtful, bold leader she's willing to take on, and she, I mean, you can get indication how she would be in a debate as well. Senator Sanders did a good job as well when she was really taking on Mike Bloomberg in that last debate. And just in the scene, I think it's tonight, the next debate, if I'm not, uh, not mistaken. Uh, you know, I think those moments can help p- uh, pivot or position her and distinguish her further from Senator Sanders. Whether that's enough, we'll find out. I think we're going to find out on Super Tuesday uh, more than anything. Um, I don't think it's one thing in these races, though. Uh, I, 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 I think you have broad coalitions, some more robust than others, uh, back in certain candidates. Uh, uh, and, and it'll be interesting to see as the field evolves in terms of changing you know, where did those votes shift? You know, where did the who, where does support go behind? So it's probably not a clean, clear-cut answer. I don't know that one answer. I think if they knew it, they would have done that by now. Right. It would have worked by now. 
so from campaign, sort of like Monday morning quarterback, uh, the campaign a little bit. Yeah, I think she's got to find space, and there is, you know, not just trying to continue to shift on the left of Bernie Sanders, vice versa, because I think broad coalitions win races. It's not one part of the electorate versus the other. Are you, like, in election time, are you, like, nervous or are you excited? Uh, when I run? No, like right now, presidential. Um, I'm ex- I'm curious and excited on the Democratic side. I'm, in, I'm interested to see who the who the candidate would be. I will be nervous no matter what because— Come yeah, November. Yeah, uh, because, you know, we have a president who shouldn't be surprised overcame an impeachment. If this president overcomes impeachment and pulls out another victory, which is not out of the realm of possibility, that would be frightening. That's a scary scenario, and uh, I hope we know that that's a real scenario, which is why I go back to agree what Senator Sanders said. We need a historic, massive voter turnout. So if you're watching at home, you're listening at home, you got to get out and vote. you got to be involved. you got to pay attention. Whatever one issue concerns you the most, that plucks your value string and makes you get out and be active in this campaign, whatever that Democratic nominee is, or even right now, get out there and canvas. Tell your friends. Be active. It's going to be that important, and not just Massachusetts. What would you do about legalizing psychedelics? Legalizing psychedelics? They're in Oregon, they're doing it. They're legalizing psilocybin, like mushrooms. Really? For therapeutic Colorado, use. Colorado. Interesting. Both Actually, you know, uh, I know you know, I heard, <laughs> believe it or not, I was watching Jimmy Kimmel last night, and Gwyneth Paltrow was talking about it. She has something to do around psychedelics. What, was she taking mushrooms? I know, I don't know. Oh, I my God, I saw I caught something at the end of it about, I was like, what is she talking about, mushrooms? This was last night. Yeah, she has like a, I don't know. She have a bad trip or something? No, she was selling something. She has something around. I know, I thought it was a joke. She guys want to take some drugs? <laughs> Next time, yeah, I want to see some samples here, Con, and open up so I can well, speak I'm with with experience. No, no, listen, I uh, if any any if there's anything organically we can provide that is medicinal that can help people, I think we should be considering that. Um, I agree. I, you know, I I was not, I, I, you know, you know, like many people, I've come full circle. I mean, uh, you know, uh, medical marijuana and and. and if I had known years ago that could have helped my father be have less pain uh, when he was battling cancer, of course, and I would have sparked one up with him just to make him do it. You used to be yeah. against it. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I had reservations about it. I guess you know, really, but what it made sense. It? You know, just I think it's cultural how you're brought up. For me, same know, thing with my dad too. Yeah, I mean, ma- legalizing marijuana, I was fully for it. But I, I, you know, and and just like we think about, you know, we got to think about how do we ease people's pain. Give them comfort. Or how do we reduce harm? Yeah, you know, we think about harm reduction more than taking on the opioid epidemic, which is another thing. I think Elizabeth will do right off the bat. You know, I, I believe in safe, supervised consumption sites. We talked about it last right? time. Yeah, yeah. I have to, you know, and I, that I have, was totally against. But when you look at the data, and we can actually save lives. When, are, when are yours opening? Do you ha- don't you have We're one open? We're seeking to try to get one open this year. So stay where? tuned. Uh, we haven't decided where yet. I don't know what form it'll take, but we are. I'll be heading out to Canada. It'll be. I'd love to come on and talk about that down the road. Cool. Uh, you know, full disclosure, we have addiction in my family. Um, Dude. And um, hey. Yeah. Uh, mine too. Yeah. So, listen. So anything that we can do, the way I've come around on this is to ease people's pain, to uh, help them through suffering, to reduce harm. These are things we should be considering. Uh, so you would try out. You would say, yeah, you, 
You can I don't know. I'm going to be immediately. I don't know a lot about psychedelics, so I've never tried them. I don't know if I try I don't I, will like, I uh, never had it either. Maybe we'll have Connor try it, and I can study him on this show and make my observations. <laughs> I'm too much of a – I'm too heavy on the OCD, so if I was to take yeah. the sauce, man, whoa. This whole place would probably be burnt down, <laughs> honestly. Um, what – Right now, as a mayor, like you're in your 10th term, and I know you're totally inspired by, and you, you're passionate about helping people, but like on an ego tip, what inspires you? Because like you've had the same job for 10 years. You're never like, dude, I would love to, you know, just kind of get the bigger job. Because yeah. I feel like I'll go through that for the rest of my career. I'll be like, I'll always want a little more. So go back to happiness. When you do your work, what, I mean... What do you love? Why do you do it? What is fulfilling about it for me? Um, and I won't. I think it's my seventeenth year. I won't do this seventeen more years as mayor. I've done eight years in the local legislative body. And when I took that job, I told my wife, "Listen, I'll definitely be there for probably six. But it is for me, and I think it probably always will be, even if someone calls me to be a cabinet secretary, which I doubt will happen. But the most fulfilling job I've done professionally, and it's because of this. You see the tangible impacts of what the decisions you make real time almost you sense that you can help people whether it's helping someone has a problem in their neighborhood in their family a particular challenge or trying to implement and create a bold vision of how your city is going to grow over the next 10 to 20 years uh, or fight for that green line that you finally seen you you see not just the bricks and mortar but I, I at the local level it's really they say with a where the rubber meets the road, really on people's lives. And for me, having grown up here, it has a little special meaning, more, a little bit more special meaning to me. I just love it. It's really cool. And job. you have the leverage to make your own decisions. Yeah, it's, and you know, you know, the work, you know, you know, you know, you know I guess it's the saying, it's good, it's great to be the big fish in a small pond. It's more about being up close to the work you're doing. And you have a little more leverage as a mayor in cities. And uh, I, I just love the, the complexity. Cities are like complex ecosystems. And, if you think about these systems that we contribute to on public health and public safety and education and so forth, how do we have? How do we make decisions? How do our decisions impact those systems that create what we what we envision the community to be? So that's why I love this job. I know. I think that's the one thing I learned from the last episode and this episode is like you have a really in depth understanding of like all the working parts of the city. Mm-hmm. Like you would think some people just care about like the economy or you talking to education system but it's like no there are like all these little things i wouldn't even think about yeah it, it, there are a lot of moving parts dude does your brain ever like stop no, so you you talked ocd i'm on the adhd side so i got both man yeah. you know how hard it is to sit here for an hour i am uh you know like staff says we're gonna have an hour meeting like okay make sure you get the bulk of it in the first 15 mm-hmm. minutes after that whoa <laughs> i'm thinking about the rest of the day <laughs> it's like it's good, it's good. rapid fire man you know have you always been that way yeah yeah uh, yeah, always been I think uh, high motor yeah and I think that's been you know a lot of I people keep like telling that. for me it's I'm been like, a benefit it's just you know got to control it never been medicated on it though I keep telling everyone I'm like this guy Joe man he's got a motor uh, you're ready to you. go thank you I love it I'm telling you I get pumped up every day it's a hard job it's not an easy job uh, and even something good you like doing um, with this much work it, it takes a piece of you every day but what was your most recent political beef oh it was last night. Um, <laughs> it was, a bit, it, it was uh, you know, we are, uh, I sit on the school committee. I'm one member. I don't, one of the things I pride myself on is we made sure we took politics out of the school. In other words, who got jobs, who got promoted. And 
schools have been a great success. So I sit as one member's ex officio along with the president of the city council on the school committee. And last night was a, it was a tough night. It was uh, one of those moments where you had to face the heat, and we had a collective bargaining protest. Uh, there's a you know a, a, a contract negotiation going on with the paraprofessionals who have all the respect in the world for us. My kids have gone uh, going through the Sumble Public Schools. They've had an impact on my kids' lives. But you know, in those type of moments, when you're in a room and people you know every day, you know them personally, they're kids, and they're yelling at you, and they're making themselves feel. You know. Those are the moments where you have to stand, you know, this is what leadership is, where you gotta listen and you gotta have some empathy and you gotta accept whether you agree or not, that that anger, that criticism, you gotta take it with grace. Wait, why were they pissed? Well, they want a contract and they uh, They wanted more money. Yeah, it's for what I think that in their minds they want to be treated fairly. Um what are paraprofessionals? Paraprofessionals, they they, te- they 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 help run the classroom and deal with the students with the teachers. I mean, they're invaluable oh, like to the teachers. Oh, teacher's aid. Yeah. yeah, it's actually, they are paraprofessional. Many of them are aspiring to become teachers, but they, they don't get paid a lot of money, and it is true. I mean, they, and, 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 and years ago, they were, they, you know, the, the, the job was viewed as part-time. It's really not a part-time job because they're working full-time hours, and, and they're, they're, their issues are legitimate, and we, it's just one of those issues we're bargaining at the table, I think they feel, and I think they feel frustration with us as an elected body, uh, and that we're not moving fast enough. And that's, but that's, you know, as I explained to my colleagues, this is, you know, at a time where our, democ- our democracy is under assault, this is democracy in action. This is we need to embrace it, but it's hard. So how did you answer that? Um, because I'm sure that's I, an I issue not at the top of your list, and, right? And what I could do best is look, engage people in silence, give them my full attention, and I did. And listen to their their criticism and their concern. Again, you have to accept it with grace. It's hard to do. I wasn't always the best listener. I think leadership really is about being a great listener as well. And you learn that over time. Um, and you, you know, um, you know, we'll get to a contract with them. I know that, but it's it's hard getting there. You know, you you never you you always want things to go smoothly, and it's not always no smoothly. This is part of the job. So, uh, not a politi- uh, it's not really a political battle. More of a it was one of those tough moments. So you haven't had any like high profile beef with like another senator where you guys are like pissed out at each other. <laughs> I would say. Uh, also, we tried to set set up this episode as a panel between Walsh, you, and Siddiqui because I thought it would be great yeah, to get yeah. perspective from everybody. But there's all the scheduling issues back and uh, forth. Yeah, you got to do it because we'll have some fun. We can have a little. Well, can you make it happen, man? Yeah, we'll make it. I'll, I'll fight for it. Sir, can we organize it, please? <laughs> I would love to do that. I think it would be a blast. I will tell Marty if he doesn't come, we'll put an empty chair here. <laughs> we'll just address the empty chair. If he doesn't. We, I think we mm-hmm. can see. We'll, do, we'll get Siddiqui here. Uh, would you be Marty. cool if we ran outside of Somerville? What's that? If we ran in Boston, would you be cool with that? Yeah, yeah. We'll tell Marty he can pick the spot. Well, you tell him. I don't have a contact tell him. to him. I'll, we'll tell him. But uh, I forget the question. So, yeah, we have, yeah, I have plenty beef. of beefs over time. We know. I have plenty I know of we, beefs. We talked about the Barstool one last time. You oh, were yeah, here. yeah. But political ones. Without the elected officials, yeah, they've happened on the local, at the state level. Uh, I, I won't go into all of them. But I'll just Why are you smiling about it? You like, like I it. I think about it because I was, um, <laughs> I was thinking about the Green Line extension and some of the – arguments we have behind closed doors with state officials and uh and you like that you won well i won but uh i won't repeat everything i said in those meetings <laughs> and they were pretty direct you know and we we're pretty angry about it uh yeah so we've had them they happen and, then and you like it yeah, i love it i love the action <laughs> i love the action i know you i seen you on cbs like you like going up there oh yeah and fired you know, I tell you something, i've been invited on fox news people why you go on there says 
God, it's, just, it's an easy debate to have. And uh, remember Nick Cavuto? I don't watch boxing. I don't know if he's even still on there. The guy, Nick Cavuto. Uh, I don't. It was one of their one of their um, big uh, people. There. What was he but trying to slam me well, off? I was on Sanctuary Cities, and we had a, a respectful and fiery debate. He even respected. Gave me a nice note back. Thanks for coming on. You know, most people wouldn't go on there, but I'm like, I'll take it on. Want to have a debate about it? Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, that's why I like t- why Tulsi Gabbard goes up on Fox. I think it's great. We we had a, the state lead from Yang and uh, Tulsi up here. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Both really interesting campaigns. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, the point about having those conversations is, you know, I know where they're going to come from, but never let the lie become the truth. No, it, no, you're wrong. You know, and explain why you're wrong. So, for me, I, I didn't find those to be uncomfortable. I mean, there's there are, there are a few different types of shows that I wouldn't do, but let's just say I've done them, and I, I've had. The, so I like the I like the fiery debate, especially when you you're fighting for something you believe in. It's it's an easy one. It's an easy one. Do you ever wonder, like, what type of message that conveys? Like, is it like I'm feeding into negativity too much? Do you ever think about that, or do you think it's just part of the game? I think it's when you have that conversation, whether it's been there or am I having the debates with the sheriff from Bristol County, who's the same sheriff who wanted to send immigrant prisoners down to build a wall in Mexico, <laughs> Massachusetts sheriff. So, so that's I, a recent beef. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. And, uh, you know, the, I think it's important that we give context to what we're talking about. It's not always about yelling. And uh, the facts don't lie. Here are the facts, and here's where you find them. Here's the context. And, and, you know, and, and you can have an intelligent, albeit uh, passionate debate. And just not to be about yelling that, you know, you're a racist or you're wrong. You're like, no, it's about, well, here's what your argument says to people. Here's what that policy, the impact it has on families and, and cities and towns. And here what the facts really say about uh, immigration, undocumented immigration. And I think you can speak to that. It's very, very powerful when you've got the facts and data on your side. It really is. Hey. Any last-ditch questions from you two? No. Well, dude, I had a great time again. Can you give Absolutely. any, like, just for any young people listening, make it sexy, like, why they should go out and at least put a vote in? Listen, if you come up for early, uh, early voting up at City Hall, at City Hall, you can go to our website, www.sumvillame.gov. Uh, come up. If you spot me, I will treat you to a cup of coffee and maybe something more special to drink in my office how's that whoa but yeah i will come down is this a promise yeah come up you find me in the hallway coffee's on me is it keurig or is it like good coffee (laughs) admittedly it's a keurig but uh, i have an espresso machine so i'll make you an espresso dude i got a keurig too i have an espresso espresso from joe the cup of joe with joe nice that should be your podcast name absolutely hey thank you for this Hi, I'm Joe Curtitoni, and that was my Platinum Hour.